Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Meerkat Musings podcast. I am your host, Ben. Darth Moan, if you prefer. I really don't mind. And um, today, on a bright and sunny Wednesday afternoon, on the day of my latest Meerkat News, I just thought I would do what I often do in these podcasts, which is ramble uncontrollably for an indeterminate length of time. Makes life interesting, doesn't it? We have no idea what's going to happen or where this is going to go. Except to say that, going back to the subject of the weather, it is it is quite amazing to see the sun. Last year, and I moaned about this a lot, the weather in this country was pretty dismal. Summer wasn't much of a summer. In fact, it's fair to say that generally speaking, we had a, a, an overcast sort of situation pretty much from the start. It, it felt like winter lasted forever. And this time last year, it wasn't particularly great. And that just sort of really sort of stayed the case. We had a few nice patches, but overall, it was overcast too much. It wasn't great. And and I think we felt it. It came in the middle of a, of a prolonged, difficult spell in this country. Uh, particularly what with the whole coronavirus situation. But on top of that, other things as well. Things which unfortunately continue to rumble on in this country in a rather negative way. We continue to have the impact of Brexit. Uh, we can no longer really blame the coronavirus for the cost of living issues we're having in this country. They're rather unique to this country. And we have to pin the tail on the donkey that is Brexit on this one, which I hold accountable for a number of problems we're having. It's not just Brexit, if you ask me. It's also the general incompetence of this government that we have now. Case in point, we recently had a government minister, um, one uh, Ms McLean, I think it was, who talked about... Uh, you know, if people want to avoid having problems as the cost of living rises, uh, she said that people should basically work more hours or get a better job. That was her answer. And although some Tory MPs rushed to suggest that her words were twisted and given a false meaning, she actually, I think, made that comment more than once in an interview on Sky News. So it's very much a case of she meant what she said and it demonstrates once again the ignorance of this Tory government and government ministers. It's all good to say get another job. Well okay how many jobs are out there that are going to pay enough to offset the rather sharp increase in the cost of everything recently? There weren't that many jobs which are going to do that Secondly, work more hours. Well, there are several issues I have with this. First of all, for jobs which allow for overtime, and not every job does, if everyone wants those hours, it inevitably means that some people won't get them. If you gave extra hours to everyone, then there'd be very few extra hours to go around and it's not going to have an appreciable impact. If you give extra hours to some, then others will, of course, not have the opportunity to have them. And if you rotate it around, then it's just a short-term solution that kicks the problem down the road. 
So not really workable in any meaningful sense. Also, do people not deserve to have the opportunity to have lives outside of work? It's all good to say work more. Well, what time does that afford for people to actually, I don't know, not have to work? Do people not deserve the opportunity to have time off from work every now and then, to go home and see their families and loved ones, to do things that they want to do? It's all and good for this government minister, who, being an MP, is on a minimum of about 84 grand a year. And let's not forget, of course, as an MP, she no doubt claims expenses and she works in a location where they heavily subsidise food and drink. It's all and good for her to say, work more to offset the cost of living. How about she tries working and living on the average UK wage, which is considerably less than her wage? How would she cope, I wonder? There is, and I've said this before, there is enough money and there are enough resources that you could actually afford to significantly increase minimum wage. You could actually afford to bump up universal credit and you could actually afford people a decent living wage without having to raise taxes on people who are already struggling, by the way. Um, the resources are there and they're also quite obviously there, but this Tory government seems to think that this is not an option. Take, for example, energy bills. First of all, in Europe, energy bills are being capped at a 5% increase, whereas in this country, we're facing a 54% increase. There was recently an attempt by, I think it was Ed Miliband of Labour to introduce a windfall tax, which has been discussed in the media a fair bit lately. And this is a windfall tax on the staggering, eye-watering profits that are being raked in by energy companies. Instead, the Tories shot it down. I don't think one Tory MP voted in favour of this idea. It's so, so heartless of them. It's a solution which would raise considerable funds that would then allow for, for safeguarding people who are in difficult situations. You could use that to bring energy bills down, or at the very least, you could do more in the form of rebates somehow. There's lots of ways you could use that money to, to ease this cost of living problem we've got. If there was a, I mean, I did actually work out the numbers from this, a 5% wealth tax would earn this country through, through that considerably more money than the recent national insurance increase. Considerably more. But for some reason, it's not an option to the Tories who, you know, in some cases, like, for example, the Chancellor Rishi Sunak, they're millionaires married to billionaires. So it's not in their interest to introduce a wealth tax. If everyone else has to struggle and scrimp and, and find it very difficult to get by, who cares? He's got his millions and a small extra burden on him isn't an option, but burdening everyone else considerably apparently is a better policy. And this is the kind of thing that the Tories do. They look down upon the working classes and they seem to be determined to do everything in their power to really, really squeeze us further and further. And they want to hoard the profits for themselves while then offering up false platitudes about how we're all in this together. Make no mistake, 
the likes of Boris Johnson, Rishi Sunak, Michael Gove, Jacob Rees-Mogg, and all the rest of them, they are not interested in the plight of the average Britain. They don't care. The only thing they care about is their power, their money, and how to consolidate it. Don't be fooled for one second by their platitudes. Brexit was all about how it was going to benefit them, not us, as we are seeing played out more and more and more. The Tories woefully mishandled the COVID pandemic, resulting in thousands of deaths that could have been avoided. They have issued decrees which allow companies to dump sewage in our water supply. And as mentioned, they've overseen a spiralling cost of living which was completely avoidable and it simply would have involved the government maybe taxing some of their rich mates a bit more. Which, you know, given that a lot of these ministers probably get kickbacks, that's why they haven't done it. So, yeah, I'm annoyed, I'm angry, in fact, and we need more people to wake up to this reality. This government doesn't care about us. They never have, right from the beginning, they haven't cared about us. The Tories have now been in power, either via a coalition uh, or directly, for more than 10 years. Is this country in a better place than it was 10 years ago? Absolutely not. There are now more food banks in this country than there are McDonald's. How has it come to that? And then we've got, like, we've got Tory MPs opening up food banks as though it's a big happy occasion, complete with ribbons and banners. And they even had a buffet in there, which probably wasn't for the average person to use, mind. It was probably more for the, for the self-congratulatory Tories to use. How has it come to that? How? It's farcical. It's an absolute joke. And we need to shout about this more because the Tories are crippling this country. And I'm not automatically saying that Labour will be better there are many flaws with this current incarnation of the Labour Party. But I think that come the time of the next elections, the next, which will probably be a general election now, we might have to be thinking tactically, and we might have to be thinking in terms of the lesser of two evils. Because the Tories, by a considerable margin, are the greater of the two evils. And whatever flaws Labour might have right now, they're realistically the only party that are going to knock the Tories out of power. There needs to be tactical voting. There needs to be thoughtful voting. There needs to be a long, hard look at the track record of Boris Johnson, who, let's face it, has a history of being dishonest, uh, a history of failure, and a, a history of looking after himself. And we need to be asking, why in the world... Did we vote for this man before? He's had plenty of time now to demonstrate his abilities as a political leader. And he has failed pretty much every single test to come his way. So we really, 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 really need him gone. And we have to do whatever it takes to do that. As I say, if it means voting for someone not really keen on, we have to maybe swallow that a little bit. We've got to be thinking, by the time of the next elections, let's batter the Tories into the ground and we'll see what happens from there. Like I said, tactical voting, I think that the other political parties need to be talking to one another about what to do to get rid of the Tories. If it means forming alliances, if it means that some parties will not contest certain seats, so be it. 
it's what has to be done. Because this lot, this lot can't stay in power any longer. They've failed us, and they have failed us repeatedly. And as sure as night follows day, they will fail us again. Okay, right. So, let's take a breath. That's out of my system now, for the moment, until something else pops into my head. Moving on from a murky world of politics, what else has been going on? Work's been kind of slow lately, but ticking over as, as well as it does. I am in the fortunate position where I can walk to work, which is always quite nice. And when the weather's like this, it's quite a nice walk to work. It's quite pleasant. You're not walking to work in the rain or in the cold or in the wind. It's, it's just nice. It's, it's easy. And who doesn't like easy? So, yeah, I'm, I'm quietly pleased. I just hope the weather continues to move in the right direction. Speaking of weather, although not exactly, so in, in a few months' time, there is a little family holiday planned, and it will be in somewhere very nice and sunny. I'm not going to say where just yet, because I plan to uh, kind of ping that along as part of a, of a meerkat news. But I had a dream that we were coming back from this place, me and my family, but for some reason, I mean, it's somewhere you have to fly to. But for some reason, I had a dream that we were swimming home because naturally one swims across um, sort of the sea, as one does. And the water was full of ice, which is very, very peculiar because we were somewhere that really you wouldn't expect to see ice in the water like that. What brought that on? I have no idea. There was another part of that dream. I can't remember if it came before or afterwards where I was at... I was going to school, as it happens, and those dreams always qualify to me as nightmares. Uh, I was going to school, and uh, I was at Leon C train station. I think it was Leon C, and there were a couple of things wrong with this picture. I didn't go to school in this area. I didn't go to school in Essex. I went to school in Hertfordshire. And the other thing wrong with this picture was this version of Leon C station was nothing like Leon C station actually is. It had far more tracks for some reason, uh, and it was nothing at all like what it what it what it should be. Such dreams, of course. I mean, my dreams are absolutely completely bonkers. I, I can't really explain it. Last night, I had a dream where I'd gone to America with my family, and for whatever reason, I don't know why, it ended up. It's kind of. You could say I ended up destroying a Chinese restaurant somehow. And just, I scattered egg fried rice everywhere. And I wouldn't waste that stuff. I love that stuff. So what I was doing with that, I don't know. And um, yeah, it was a bit odd. But then again, my dreams are generally very odd. I mentioned in Cat News, a very creepy dream I had uh, several nights ago now, which involved... So... If you're familiar with anything to do with UFOs and extraterrestrials, you're probably familiar with the aliens, which are commonly referred to as the greys. And they're often depicted as being, well, you know, the height seems to vary, but generally speaking, they're about sort of the average human height. And they have big grey skin, um, big black eyes, 
kind of like a kind of egg-shaped head, I guess. Uh, and there's something very unnerving about them, especially the eyes, very kind of surreal. And they come up a lot in the in the abduction narrative. And there are a number of, of theories which are, of course, completely unprovable, at least for the average person, about what they are, what they want, whether or not they're actually just a manifestation of our subconscious somehow. And yeah, they're just this... There is something, as I say, which is very unsettling about these these beings. And certainly when you look at the, the typical abduction narrative, it doesn't lend itself to us kind of thinking of them in in glorious terms. And I had this dream where one of these beings was outside my house. Uh, I think it was in the back garden. Well, I mean, I don't know... I don't know how I came to know it was there. Other than that, I'd gone to the kitchen kind of half wondering if it was there. And then it was there in the window. And then I woke up, because I needed to go to the loo. Yes, I'm of that age where sometimes one has to go to the loo in the middle of the night. Uh, and even though I was awake and I knew I was awake, my my hackles had gone up and I felt distinctly uneasy simply walking from the bedroom to the toilet. And when I was finished, that feeling then returned. I went to the bathroom to wash my hands. And I was looking downstairs at the front door. And again, all my hackles went up. I had that sensation of something that wasn't right being around. Very unnerving. Very creepy. No doubt it was an impact of the dream. But, yeah, I'm not exactly in a mad rush to repeat that dream and I'm certainly not convinced that I wish to undergo that experience again anyway it's a dream and dreams are often quite fascinating in terms of what they tell us there is a notion there is an idea a theory One, of course, which again remains completely beyond our ability to understand and to reach and to prove that dreams are actually windows into other realities. That we're witnessing things in parallel dimensions and universes. If that's true, then there are versions of me out there that have led some very dramatic, exciting lives. Uh, There are versions of me out there who really haven't. And I can only imagine what those versions of of me make of me and my life when they dream about me. Because uh, I don't feel that I have a particularly dramatic life. I mean, I'm happy with my life, but there are no there are no kind of like really crazy situations unfolding. Some of the dreams I've had in the past have involved uh, being part of Star Wars, part of Star Trek. I think I've had at least one Babylon 5 dream. I've had dreams where I've been travelling with the Doctor and Doctor Who. Uh, I've had zombie dreams. I've had creepy clown dreams. I've had nuclear apocalypse dreams. Um, I had one dream which could be kind of described as being something along the lines of the rapture, maybe. 
So if these are actually other versions of me, then there are some versions out of the out there of me who are having very exciting lives, very terrifying lives in some respects, but in others, very, very dramatic and entertaining. But who knows? I mean, that's why dreams are such a mystery. Really, realistically speaking, dreams are merely our brains trying to make sense of the information of the day uh, and processing that through the filter of, of our memories and our experiences, which leads to some interesting and colourful experiences. Speaking of things that we can't easily understand, recently in science news, we had something very exciting. You may recall a few years ago, scientists were able to take an image of a supermassive black hole located billions upon billions upon billions of miles away in another galaxy. It was the first time we ever actually imaged the black hole. Well, I say the black hole, we didn't image the black hole itself because we can't, but we were able to image the, the event horizon, if you like, and the swirling torrent of superheated material that's trapped in orbit around the black hole. Now, this object came in at something like, I think, four billion times the mass of our sun. It might be more than that, actually. All I know is it's a huge, supermassive black hole and a pretty impressive sort of object. More recently, within the last couple of weeks, in fact, we were able to capture the image of something much, much closer to home. Well, to a degree. I mean, it's still many, many thousands of light years away, but we were able to capture an image of the black hole at the centre of our galaxy, the Milky Way, which comes in at a relatively modest 4 million times the mass of our sun. But this object is crammed into an area smaller than Mercury's orbit around the sun. So pretty dense, pretty powerful. And wow, this is what I can sort of say. We've been able to take an image of this galaxy's heart of darkness, if you like. It's an object that we still don't know a lot about. There are many things about black holes that we can't understand right now that we may never understand. It's hard to imagine a point of infinite density, but that's what a black hole effectively is. It takes something and it squeezes it down to an impossibly small degree to the point where, as you may already be aware, even light can't escape its grasp which is why black holes are black. When you look at the event horizon, that black sphere, if you like, behind that curtain is the actual black hole itself, the actual singularity, as they call it. And we may never be able to actually see one of those things. Unless we can develop the means to go faster than light, and unless we can somehow develop materials and equipment that can resist the crushing power and, and intense gravity of a black hole, we're never actually gonna we're never actually gonna see a black hole up close. And the other problem of course is we have to get close to it and the radiation coming off a black hole, or should I say coming off the material trapped in a black hole's orbit, that alone would fry us before we got anywhere near the event horizon. 
even before we began to feel the effects, the true effects of a black hole, the immense belts of radiation around a black hole would fry us. So many, many reasons to be concerned about these things. But ultimately, of course, it's tens of thousands of light years away. Uh, and unless something really bad happens to the Earth, we're not going near it anytime soon. And let's face it, anything capable of pushing us towards a black hole anytime soon, that would probably curse all anyway. Nice cheerful thought for you there. Finally, 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 with this muse, um, I want to touch upon... Well, actually, you know what? Not finally, necessarily. Um, so, been having some continued, I say, discussions, uh, some continued sparring out there in the realm of the World Wide Web with various people. On a serious and rather sombre note, people should be aware of what happened recently in the town of Buffalo in America. Someone drove many hours, actually, from where they live to shoot black people. That was their motive. They actually had a manifesto about, uh, about their intentions and they live-streamed this event, I say event, they live-streamed this, this tragedy, this obscene act. I don't know, know really if I have the right word. Um, they live-streamed it on Twitch, I think it was. Although Twitch quickly shut it down when they became apparent of what was going on. They very quickly pulled the plug on that. But this guy, he, as I say, he wanted to kill black people. And he was prepared to travel many, many miles and many hours in order to fulfill the same. 18-year-old guy, heavily armed. And um, once again, what we've seen unfold is a, a terrible, terrible act, which highlights a couple of problems. It highlights, once again, the, the problem with guns in US society. And it highlights the, the racial problems, which have not gone away and continue to be very, very serious. Which is not to say that, that problems with race don't exist here in the UK. Uh, I think they absolutely do. I think the difference maybe between the UK and the USA is that here in the UK, it's more subtle, but it's still very much there. Whereas in uh, the USA, it seems to be more overt. And then we have actions like this, these, these horrific events, which are made a lot easier, of course, by by how easily people can get hold of firearms. There's someone who routinely comments, or should I say tries to comment, on anything that I have to say about guns and gun control over on the, the other site that I run. And for years now, he's demonstrated that he doesn't care for facts or reality. And he's continued to leave comments recently, which also demonstrate his vile side, because the guy is quite childish in many ways. Clearly, he seems to believe that being a belligerent bully carries some weight with me. Newsflash, it doesn't. And I just... He's someone who is clearly in, in some respects, probably in pain uh, from, from what he's mentioned of his past. But... He needs at some point as well to realise the way in which he's dealing with his issues or not dealing with them 
isn't particularly healthy and lashing out incorrectly at my arguments that me personally isn't going to achieve anything either. He needs at some point to face reality, but I'm not convinced he's capable of that at this point. I feel sorry for him, actually, in many ways. I mean, he's devoted years now, actually, to angrily coming at me, and not once has he made any kind of a point that was noteworthy or that couldn't be easily refuted. Uh, he's doing it, presumably, because I don't know. I mean, like I said, I feel sorry for him. Does he have other outlets? He seems to obsess with me a little bit. Uh, he actually started a website because of me. He'll deny that, but the timing makes it pretty obvious and the content of his site makes it pretty obvious that his site is a response to me and the things I have to say. Which means in one sense, you could argue he's actually danced to my tune and has continued to do so. I post something, he reacts to it. Uh, so he needs to find some other means of a no release in a healthy way of course and perhaps he needs to start coming to terms with the actual arguments I make instead of the fantasy versions which he attacks which are of course usually not arguments I've made I mean it's a form of dishonesty what he does when he goes after a point I haven't made he's basically lying and, and deceiving people uh, which I don't particularly appreciate or like and it doesn't make him look particularly good. He paints him as being someone who's very untrustworthy, someone who, to be blunt, lacks honour, quite frankly. But enough of that, enough of that. We'll end this podcast on, well, I say a high note. I mean, it is, but it's tempered with what, may yet happen which may yet be really really good at the weekend my beloved Liverpool football club won the FA Cup they beat Chelsea on penalties funny enough we actually beat Chelsea in a penalty shootout at Wembley to win a trophy back in February so this is the second time we've done that now and in winning the FA Cup we've completed the second part of the attempt to complete the quadruple it was, it's, it's always a horrible situation, penalties. I hate watching penalties, especially when it's a team that I like involved. But even when it's not, I don't like penalties. They're this horrible experience. So yeah, so penalties, horrible things, a horrible way to lose a game. And when you win a game on penalties, it's more of a relief than anything else. It's more just this, this impression of, oh, thank God that's over, rather than any kind of you know, elated joy the joy sort of comes in a bit later when you realise that you have now won another trophy. But but what is now officially, in my view, a good season could still yet be an unbelievable season. There are two more games left for Liverpool Football Club this season. The final game of the season for us is at home in the Premier League against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Victory in that game will not assure us of the title because we are relying on Manchester City who lead the title race by one point, dropping points at home against Aston Villa. Now, Aston Villa have had 
a very sort of average season and it's difficult to sort of know whether or not they're going to be able to produce something special against what is, I have to say, an extremely good Man City side. But even if there is only a fool's hope left, there is still hope. It's a huge ask to expect Villa to take anything from Man City. I think what we're looking at here really is a David versus Goliath clash. Man City, you have to respect them because they have been, over the last few years, one of the best sides out there. They've got some superb players. One of the best players, if you ask me right now, in, in world football is Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, who can score goals, he can pass brilliantly, he's a fantastically skilled player, and he's easily among the best in the world. And he's not alone in being a great player for Man City. However, football can do strange things. At one point, okay, admittedly, this is when Liverpool had some games in hand to play. At one point, the league table read that we were 14 points behind. Man City and even after winning those games in hand uh, or, or, or a couple of them at least anyway we were still at 1.8 points behind and yet now we're one point behind one point behind going into the last day of the season and it, it really is not a position where I kind of dare let myself dream but we could, could, by some miracle at the weekend, emerge on the other side of that weekend as Premier League champions. All I can do is hope somehow, as I say, that Aston Villa can pull off a miracle. But miracles do happen in football from time to time. So keep the faith. It's not over until it's over. But after that, Whatever happens at the weekend, Liverpool will have one more game to play. And if we don't win the Premier League title at the weekend, then we can still turn a good season into a great one by winning that particular game. Liverpool will be travelling to Paris, where they will be playing Spanish champions Real Madrid to contest the title of Champions of Europe for 2022. Real Madrid knocked out Man City, despite at one point looking kind of dead and buried, actually. They came back to, to defeat Man City in the semi-finals. And make no mistake, they're a team with a rich history in Europe. They have some great players of their own. They are actually the most successful club in the history of the Champions League. They have been champions of Europe 13 times. No other club has actually got two double digits yet. Liverpool have won it six times. Uh, most recently in 2019. So we have done the job quite recently. But the last time we played Real Madrid in the final was in 2018. Where we ended up losing and early on in the game, Sergio Ramos injured our one of our star players, Mo Salah, in a contentious incident both teams have changed since then. Liverpool under Klopp have only gotten better. 
we no longer have the liability of a keeper in the form of Kerrius in goal. We have Alison Becker, who's been great for us. In defence, we now have Virgil van Dijk, who's been great for us. Klopp has extracted the best from Joel Matip. And we have a strike force which is as formidable as any in Europe. When you look at how Mane and Salah performed this season, they've been great. Bobby Firmino hasn't featured too much because of various injury issues. But we've got uh, Diaz, who's been a revelation since he joined the club in the January transfer window. Diego Jota knows how to score goals. In midfield, I mean, he might not be there, but Fabio, uh, Fabinho sorry, has been a good, solid central midfielder. And if he's not around for any reason, we've got the hardworking and trustworthy Jordan Henderson. We've got Nabi Keita. And we've got Thiago, who is a supreme passer of the ball. So we have options. We have options up front. We have options in defence. In the form of left-back uh, Andrew Robertson, he's been amazing since joining the club. Trent Alexander-Arnold has come through the ranks to be an amazing right-back. And we have, we have all the pieces of the puzzle that we need. But, as I've said before, football can do funny things. Real Madrid maybe aren't quite as strong as they were when we played them in 2018. But it's, it's a one-off match. And the one-off match, as we've seen throughout the history of football, anyone can beat anyone. And we have to treat them with the utmost respect. Victory is never guaranteed unless you work at it, and unless you play to the whistle. One of the things that we have been good at is playing to the whistle. We've managed to find a way to win matches, even when we've not been at our very best. As an example, the victories over Aston Villa and Southampton away from home quite recently, we weren't our sort of full amazing maximum, but we found a way to get across the line. That's what separates the good teams from the great teams. Winning when you're not playing well. Finding that little extra bit of performance or putting in that little bit of extra effort can take you across that line. And that's something that this Liverpool team have found the means to do. Will that be enough to carry us to victory in the Premier League? Well, as I've said before, that's not up to us in many respects. I believe that we'll beat Wolves, but it's all about what Aston Villa can do to stop Man City, if indeed they can do anything. Villa were managed by former Liverpool legend Stephen Gerrard, and he will, of course, be no doubt in the back of his mind, hoping he can find a way to help us. He's not there to help us. He's there to help Aston Villa. But equally, Gerrard's love and passion for Liverpool will undoubtedly mean that he'll be thinking, I really hope we do this for them. It's not what you can say to the players, because there's some of the players are not interested in what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not interested in helping us. But if they did do it, they'd make their manager very, very happy indeed. Also in Villa's ranks is a former Liverpool player by the name of Coutinho, who... You know, he did do quite well for us. He's, he's a very good player. He went to Barcelona, I believe it was, for a time. He, I think he spent some time at Bayern Munich as well on loan. Uh, he didn't do himself any sort of mischief 
while he was there, but perhaps he didn't push on to become the sort of you know Neymar or Messi-esque sort of player that he wanted to be known as. But he's not done a bad job for Villa. He can change games. The best outcome imaginable to a Liverpool fan would be if he scores a late winner, an absolute screamer from 25 yards out to beat Man City while Liverpool go on to win 4 or 5 nil at home and secure the title. That's the dream scenario. It's unlikely to happen. We have to be realistic. We have to sort of say, look, nine times out of ten, City beat Villa, they're champions. But also, as I said, there is always hope. And even if it's a small fool's hope, it's worth remembering that there is always hope. And then Champions League final, well, 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 whatever happens there, it's going to be intense. It's going to be passionate. Real Madrid don't know when they're beaten, but nor do this local side. One thing that Klopp has done, which is maybe more important than any of the signings he's made, is how he's changed the mentality of the players. He has got them hungry. He's got them determined. They are fighting for the shirt. He fights for Liverpool Football Club as well. So if anyone gets across the line, it's him. All we can do now is wait and wonder and hope. <laughs>